The second reading comes from Colossians, beginning at chapter 1, verse 24. Paul's labor for the church. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Hey everyone, my name's Nick, I'm one of the pastors here at church, and it's seriously a joy to look out at your beautiful faces, and I mean beautiful faces, you are a wonderful looking church, I just want you to know that. Hey, we, um, we live in a busy world, we live in a busy world, um, everyone is juggling more things than they can possibly juggle. Um, you're, you're working, or you're studying at school or at uni, while you're also trying to Go to your sport, and you're also trying to keep up with your friends, and you're also trying to keep your household running in somewhere, go grocery shopping, and drive your four kids to their various sports, or you're single, and you've got this entire home that you need to look after for yourself, while you still need to somehow fit in the time that you need to just enjoy life and just be, you know, at peace. We live in a busy world, yeah? Can I get an amen? Amen. It's busy. It's busy. I think we live in one of the busiest times of all. Um, and I have been slowly moving my way closer to the city as I've grown up. I started in Barara, which is really north, if you've never heard of that. And I ended up in Taramara. Now I'm here in Neutral Bay. And I think here we live at an even busier pace than others who are already living in the busyness. Um, here's a hot tip for you. When someone asks you how you're going and you answer busy every week for a month, that's not busy. That's your new normal, right? We, that's, but we all do it. We all do it. This morning, people will just ask me, how are you going? And, and instantly, my, my first answer is, oh, I'm actually good, but I'm busy. It's, it's become the new normal that we have too much to do with not enough time to do it. But we're not just busy, we're distracted. We're not just busy, we're distracted. Can someone hold up their phone for me? Anyone? Thank you. Someone, you were too close, quick with that. Like, you're just sitting there texting the whole time. Look at that thing and tell me that you're not distracted. That we live in an age where at the, the, just the, the moment of silence that normally would be filled by your thoughts is now filled with the scroll of Facebook or Insta, um, where I actually did a social experiment the other day. I was catching the train to Chatswood, and I kind of just sat down and put my phone away and just sat and looked. There were about 12 people on the platform at the time, and 11 of them were just sitting there on their phones. One of them was playing Pokemon Go. Respect points to you. That's fine. But the others, they're just mindlessly scrolling through their news feeds. 
Um, and we laugh at it because it's a little too real. Um, we have so much going on in our lives, and yet the minute we get a small moment of peace, we fill it with our devices. And that, that creates this dangerous combination where the things that are truly important get drowned out by the things that are less important. Where the things that we would say that we believe are, are absolutely essential to know and love and to practice get, get pushed down under the surface of the mountain of busy work. And when it comes to your faith in Jesus, I think this happens to us far too often. I think we know with our heads that Jesus died for us, that he rose again, that he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father, that he's reigning forever in heaven, and that he has loved you and forgiven you and adopted you into his family and now goes with you by his spirit. You know all these facts, and they're in your head, and you would say they're the most important things, and I believe it, but with everything that's going on in your life, tell me that I'm wrong, that sometimes your heart doesn't grow cold to those truths. That what should energize you and amaze you and just fill you with awe and wonder is now just a fact that you believe. And we, we just can't fall into that trap. We can't. Because we have a gospel that's too precious. We have a truth that's too beautiful. We have a reality that has changed absolutely everything in this world that we, we just can't keep living with our heads down at our phones and our lives filled with rocks that just constantly mean we just never even have a moment to think about the Lord Jesus. We can't keep walking hearts cold, heads full, with no sense of Jesus with us. We can't because we have something beautiful. You need to be amazed that you stand right now in history where you stand. You need to be amazed that there is an enormous mystery that has been revealed to you. It's been revealed to you. Follow with me with your Bible. Keep it open. Verse 26, here's what Paul says. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. There's a mystery that has been held in secret or, or revealed in part for the entirety of existence, that moment where God spoke and the world came into being and the stars flung into space, that moment in which God began all things, he began this mystery to reveal to you and I at this moment right now in 2020 in Neutral Bay that Jesus is Lord and he died for you. You look through the whole of the Bible, and there's, there's this whole Old Testament, which is two-thirds of your Bible, by the way. You should read it sometime. It's really good. Um, where God has shown himself to this little people of Israel, and he walks with them, and he leads them, and he loves them, and he bears with them in their, their troubles and in their sins. He delivers them when they do the wrong thing and fall into judgment. He, he just sits there, just patiently caring for them. Um, but that was just a glimpse of the hope that he reveals now. And the hope that, that was just, just a partial hope that they could hold on to, that you now have right in front of you to feast upon it at, at your discretion. That, that all the fullness of what, think about this. People often ask, what is the meaning of life? You have it. You know it. It's yours. And how can we just constantly just let ourselves walk through the normal rhythms of life and forget how brilliant that is? You're not convinced how brilliant it is? Paul wants to tell you what this mystery is. Verse 27. To them, God has chosen 
to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. The glorious riches of this mystery. Which is three words, three simple yet profound words. Christ in you. I don't know about you, when I, when I had that read, I just kind of glossed over that, Christ in you. But that is one of the most profound statements you could make. You know, if you've been with us in this series in Colossians, you've seen a picture of Jesus that is just persuasive and, and amazing. Last week, particularly, we saw, we saw a Jesus who is just the supreme ruler of all things, the one through whom and for whom all things were made, the one who holds all things together by the power of his word, the one for whom everything exists. It exists for Jesus. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the infinite God eternal. He's the word that was at the beginning with God and who is God and through whom God made everything, right? This is the Jesus who you know, who you love, who's not distant from you, but who is in you. I don't know about you, but I look at myself and I think I'm not worthy enough to even look at Jesus, let alone to be united with Jesus. But that's the mystery that God has revealed to you and me, that that you and I, in all of our mess and our brokenness and our failures, have been drawn near by Jesus and united with him. Now, I don't want you to get this wrong. It's not just that Jesus is a really like wonderful friend who's kind of walking through life with you, holding your hand as you go through stuff. He's there to say, pat you on the back and be like, yeah, great job, Nick. You're doing a good job. Keep going. Or, you know, it's, you're going to get him next time, Tiger. Like, slaps you on the back or slaps you on the butt if you're one of those guys at sport. Anyways, um, Jesus isn't that kind of friend. Um, he's not just, you know, there, but kind of not there. No, this isn't about someone walking with you. This is about Jesus in you. This is, this is about God taking you, a finite human, in all of your mess, and uniting you with the infinite one so that you become one. So that right now, as you sit here in this pew, that if you call on the name of Jesus as Lord, even if your life is all over the place, God is in you. God is in you. And so as you navigate all of this this life that you have before you, all of the trials and the pains and the difficulties, as well as the good and the joy, you get to know that God isn't just watching from afar like that big bearded guy in the sky who looks down upon his people. No, he is in you and with you. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit so that not only is he near you, he is with you directly. And that's beautiful. There's never a moment in your life that Christ isn't with you, that Christ isn't in you. And that's, that's good enough, yeah? Like, that's, that's pretty dang awesome, right? Um, I don't usually say dang, but dang, that's awesome, right? Like, that's... That's pretty fantastic. Just try and even just wrap your head around that Christ has united you with him. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say, hey, you're going to walk through the rest of life and I'm going to be with you and it's going to be great. No, he says, Christ in you, the, another three words, hope of glory. The hope of glory. That even though Christ has come and been with you and united himself to you, that's not just a promise for this life, but for the life to come. And it's not a promise for something better than what you're currently going through. It's a promise for riches that you cannot even imagine. For joy that you can't even express. 
for delight that, that you just would it, would, it would just ruin you right now to know that delight because everything else would just pale in comparison. It's the hope of glory, the hope that one day you will stand before the glorious one. Think about that, the God who made you, that, that you'll stand not, not looking through a window or standing in the same suburb, but, but you'll look at this glorious God face to face and you'll just fall down and worship him because he's glorious. And that this broken world that you live in, God is taking it and he is, he is renewing it and he's making it new. He's making it glorious so that, that all the brokenness that you're currently experiencing will just be completely done away with and the world that he puts you in to come is, is a glorious new reality that's better than you can imagine. And, and just, you know, that's awesome. I'm with God in a perfect world, but he's changing you. He's taking you in, in all of the frailty that you experience, the creaky knees and the colds and the tonsillitis, Julian, you know, miraculous healing, but it's coming even more, right? All of the things that you experience that, that are just, you know, make you just think this world sucks and this world is broken. He's, he's wiping them away from you. He's taking you. He's ironing out the sins and the failures and the problems, and he's making you perfect so that you'll be a perfect person in a perfect world with the perfect God. You have the hope of glory. Lift your eyes off your phones, Neutral Bay Church. Look to the glorious one and look to the glory that he's promised you. Don't let your hearts grow cold. This mystery is beautiful. We don't just believe it, we love it. We, we delight in it. We enjoy God. We, just, we get to just enjoy the God who made us. But more than that, here's where I want to go with the rest of this talk. More than that, is we have this beautiful hope that we get to take and share. I'm sensing a theme here, but I've got another three words for you. Here's, here's my three words for you. We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ. Read with me at verse 28. Paul writes, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. The goal is that we wouldn't just know Jesus um, as beautiful as that is, you get to know Jesus, you get to walk with Jesus, you get the hope of glory, but that we wouldn't just hold on to that tightly for ourselves, but that we would proclaim Christ. That's what Paul did. This is a snapshot into Paul's ministry as an apostle, and I believe that it gives us a template, it gives us principles for what it looks like to proclaim Christ in our own lives. That's our goal as Christians, yeah? We proclaim Christ. Can someone just say something like an amen so we're awake? Amen. All right, we're going to proclaim Christ. I got three points on proclaiming Christ. We're going to talk about the goal of proclaiming Christ. We're going to talk about the path of proclaiming Christ. And we're going to talk about the power of proclaiming Christ. First one, the goal, the goal of proclaiming Christ. Look down with me at your Bibles to verse 28 again. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Hot tip in the Bible when you read a so that, it's going to be important. Why do we proclaim Christ? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What's the goal of proclaiming Christ? It's that everyone, everyone, note that language, will be presented fully mature in Him. Now, we, we should and we are motivated to talk about Jesus because we believe sin is real that judgment is coming, and that Jesus is forgiveness, yeah? That, that, should, that should light a fire under you to share the gospel, that people need the life that Jesus brings. 
But that's not the end goal. God is in the business of rescuing broken sinners, but he doesn't just rescue broken sinners and then kind of just sit them there and go, all right, try and work it out for yourselves now, guys. It's all on you. Off you go. He doesn't take us, wash us clean, and then just expect us to work it out from there. No, God has this this beautiful plan. This is the mystery that has been revealed to us, that God wants to take a people and rescue them for himself by the blood of his son Jesus, wash them, declare them holy and righteous, that he might present them before himself perfect, fully mature. And if you're a Christian here today, that's the journey you're on. And don't get me wrong, there's never a moment that you're not on this journey, that you are walking towards perfection, that God is, is working in you right now, ironing out that sinful tendency, changing that thing in your heart that you don't need to believe, just slowly transforming you by His Spirit to be fully mature in Christ. And that is why we proclaim Christ, because we get this beautiful privilege of being a part of that, that is you the ordinary person that you are, maybe you're extraordinary, but I'm ordinary. The ordinary person that you are gets to, to walk out these doors after tonight and meet people, friends, family, strangers. And you get the privilege of proclaiming Christ to them, that they might be saved, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, but also that they might be matured into that full picture of perfection that Jesus has for them. Um, I have a, a guy that I've been walking through life with for years. His name's Tom. Um, he was at, he's at my old church at St. Phil's in South Paramara. Um, and I met him when he was 16. Um, and there's really just one word to describe Tom, um, and that is apathetic. Um, you know, you're all sitting here thinking, what, an apathetic teenager? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> you teenagers are being like, apathetic? I don't even know what that means. But that's you guys, sorry. Bless you. Apathetic teenager. He, he had a faith in Jesus. Um, he became a Christian at some point along his journey before I got there. Um, and he was um, a part of our youth group. But he just didn't seem to care. He believed in Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus. But, but that, like, you, know, you want me to read my Bible? That, that sounds a bit too hard. You, know? um, you, want, you want me to pay attention in Bible study? I'd much prefer to slap that person in the face while you're talking. You know? this, is, this is youth ministry, guys. It's a glorious place to be. Um, he's just... Apathetic. He's there. He, he has faith, but that's just kind of where he's at. Um, I got to meet him at 16, and I got to walk with him really closely for the last two years of high school. We probably caught up fortnightly um, to, to drink coffee together because caffeine's essential to be mature in Jesus. Um, and we would sit down together, and we would just spend time together reading the Bible. Not just vaguely kind of reading it and then moving on, but, but thinking about what it means for our lives. What does it mean for a 16-year-old to, to live this out? Um, I had the privilege and, you know, sometimes the pains of pointing out where he was living in sin and trying really hard but failing. Um, and then we would pray together. We just, that's, it's that simple, right? Like we just spent time in the Word, in fellowship, praying. In those two years, I just saw him come alive. Um, so this apathetic teenager, still a bit apathetic at 18, but not in faith, I saw these, these moments of of godliness and holiness, of just love for Jesus, which is so countercultural when you're 18, and that's when, when everything starts to get awesome because you can just live your life however you want it. He's chosen to live it for Jesus. It was just this moment of beauty when I reflected on how far God had taken him in those two years. And that's what we're talking about here. 
where God saves someone by the blood of Jesus, but then he takes them on a journey to mature them, to present them fully perfect in his sight. Now, Tom, he, he um, also, as he left school, came on team as a youth leader. So where I was discipling him as a teenager, now I got to disciple him as a leader. And he, he joined our team, and I got to see God just put a, a desire in him to share the gospel that he had with others. He wanted to proclaim Christ. And so he would turn up every Friday, and he was like, yeah, let's go. And he was always the hype man. I don't know if you've got a hype man in your life, but you need a hype man in your life. He was like always pumping up. So we would get together, we'd pray to start the night, and he would just go. And we, I led with him for about two or three years, and he came to me and he said, Nick, I just love Jesus so much, and I think that I want to do this for my life. And so he decided to study at YouthWorks College and do a diploma of theology and go into youth ministry. And I just had this really beautiful, unique moment where when I was leaving St. Phil's, they were trying to find a replacement youth pastor. Guess who's there? Tom. Tom's the new youth pastor. It's just a special moment to see how God has been maturing this young man um, against all odds in a secular society for a new generation of millennials, right? That God would take him, rescue him, and transform him. Now, let's be clear. The end goal of maturity is not ministry. Um, that's not the point of that story. The point of that story is that God was doing a work in that man. It'll look different for you, the mum of three kids, um, the single dad who's trying to make ends meet, um, the ratbag teenager who's still in that apathetic stage. I'm not looking at any of you particularly. You're all wonderful people. But it's going to look different for each of us as we seek to, to pursue maturity in Christ and as we seek to see others mature in Christ. And so I've got a question for you. How are you you maturing in Christ in your life right now. If the Christian life is directional, always moving towards that that maturity in Christ, how are you growing? There's going to be a a million different things that you could point to. Um, One would be to look at who you are now versus who you were a couple years ago. Has God been changing you? I bet you the answer is yes. But where and how? Um, Do you have space in your life where you just stop the busyness and the craziness and just let God speak to you so that you're not just living life against your own agenda, you're living it against the authority of God and his word? Put it simply, do you read your Bible? Um, Are there habitual sins in your life that you have been just living in for so long that you no longer even think about them? That's a moment where perhaps you've hit a roadblock in your maturity. Take stock of your life. Who are you and who has God made you? And how is he growing you? And more than that, long to grow. Pursue growth. Pick up your Bible, read. Join a connect group. Meet with some people to talk about Jesus and life and pray. You heard what it was like with Tom. It's that simple. Pursue maturity. But the next question I have for you is, do you seek maturity in others? We're talking about proclaiming Christ. We're not talking about keeping Jesus to ourselves. We're talking about proclaiming Christ to others. That's going to look like non-Christians who don't yet know Jesus. We want to see them saved and on that journey to maturity. But it's equally going to apply to the people sitting next to you in the pew right now. Are you fixated on your own faith to the exclusion of those around you? We're a family here. We have older brothers, younger brothers, older sisters, younger sisters, fathers in the faith, mothers in the faith, little babies in the faith. We have this this privilege of doing life and faith together, and God has called us to speak into one another and to mature one another. And so I'm not asking you to sign up for another program or another event. I'm just asking you to invest in the people around you. How are you speaking into the lives of your church family to help them mature in their faith? 
Maybe it's as simple as just checking in every now and again with a text message and praying for them. Maybe it's meeting up regularly to read the Bible with someone. I don't know what it could be. But if you want some tips or some people to invest in, come talk to me, come talk to Andrew. We just love to see this family start to care deeply for one another's souls and to, to disciple one another because that's what God's called us to, to mature. Does that make sense? Sweet. I got one nod. That's all I need. I can keep going. All right. That's the goal. The second thing is the path of proclaiming Christ. And this is where it gets a bit harder. This is where it gets a bit harder. Because the path of proclaiming Christ is suffering. The path of proclaiming Christ is suffering. Um, We live in a season and a part of the world, I think, and I'd love to talk to you afterwards um, to hear what you have to think about this. But I think we live in a season of the world where we take happiness and we elevate happiness above everything else. The great goal in life for our world is happiness, to have a happy life, a life where you're content and and you enjoy everything that you have. You know, you might say that, no, I'm not interested in happiness, I'm interested in financial security. Well, I would suggest that the reason you want that is so you can be happy. You might be thinking, "I'm I'm looking for a boyfriend because I just, I'm alone. Well, yes, that's true, but, but maybe the reason you're looking for that is because you're unhappy right now and you want to be happy. I think happiness is this thing that we're all in the pursuit of, right? Um, I think our society longs for happiness so much that we don't even talk about it. It's just the undercurrent of everything that we do. Do what you need to do for you um, because that's when you'll find fulfillment, when you find what you need to be happy. And so it is outrageous in that climate to suggest that you should suffer. Because suffering is the great antagonist to happiness, yeah? You could tell me that, you know, you're having a great life, Nick. You're working so hard in your career and you're starting to make ends meet and you're really starting to build your property portfolio or whatever adults do. And, you know, you're really starting to pull your life together. Um, But then you tell me that someone in my family has just been diagnosed with cancer like my mom was two years ago. And suddenly all those things lose their, their happiness factor. Because suffering has cut through it and left me empty. And so I think as a culture, we kind of fear suffering. We kind of look at suffering. We just kind of want to walk around it. We don't want to address it. We don't want to deal with it. Um, It's a bit of a taboo. I think without even saying it, we all fear death so deeply. We fear it so much that we're unwilling to talk about it. I mentioned that my mom has breast cancer. Um, She got diagnosed two years ago. She's now cancer-free, praise the Lord. But when she first told us, it was just this moment where it just came out of nowhere at dinner because she had no idea how to tell us because it's just so foreign to speak about something like that. So I was literally laughing with my sister about some outrageous joke that she just told me, and my mom's laughing, and halfway through her laughter, she goes, by the way, I've got cancer. And it was just this moment of, of just jarring and we just all sat there unsure what to do with it because we don't, we don't do suffering. We don't do grief. We don't do it well, at least. And I just remember just sitting there thinking, where do we go from here? My mom didn't know what to say. We didn't know what to say. Um, and from there, we just tried to fix the problems. You know, how, what's chemo going to be like? What's radio going to be like? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to make it so you're happy? How are we going to get to the point where you're no longer facing this anymore? We just didn't have the capacity to sit and grieve and weep together. So just a little aside, can we as a Christian people just swim against the current in that? Can we just do better at suffering together? That when something serious strikes, 
Can we just sit and, and weep and just mourn and, and just sit in that? Because um, we're, not, we're not foreign to suffering. Suffering is at the heart of the Christian journey. It, it shows up in the little things. Like I, I, last week, someone asked me how I'm going. I said, you know what? I'm not doing very well, actually. And they just looked like gobsmacked. They didn't know what to do with that. They're like, oh, 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 oh I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And they just walked away. Like they, they didn't even stop and go, hey, what is it that, that's upsetting you? What's happening in life? They were just like, well, hope it gets better, bye. And just kind of ran away as quickly. We, we are terrible at it. And so it's just outrageous when we come to verse 24, keep your Bible open, when Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Note that word. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. He rejoices. He doesn't just bear through it because it's important to get through suffering. He doesn't look to the other side so that it's going to get better one day. He looks at the suffering and he rejoices. And he doesn't just get happy because he's got other good things in his life apart from the suffering. I think what he's saying here is I look suffering dead in the eye and I rejoice that it exists. I delight in the fact that there is suffering in my life. He's content in it. He delights in it. Because Paul gets something we don't. That suffering is the vehicle by which God works. That suffering is the path that God has called us upon to proclaim Christ persuasively. Um, Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, I'm going to butcher this quote, but it always just sits in my mind. He says, the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. How did the early church grow? Because people were willing to die for their faith. It's through suffering that people see and meet and give their lives to Jesus. And so Paul says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That feels really weird um, because it sounds like he's saying Jesus' death wasn't enough. Um, we all know that's, that's not true. Um, Jesus died once for all to, to, to conquer sin and death and Satan and throw it all aside. He's completely won our victory on that cross. I think what Paul is saying here is suffering is actually the vehicle by which people are going to meet Jesus. And Jesus, as much as he has suffered and died for us, he's now exalted in heaven. So who's going to do the suffering? I am. You are. I just want to like acknowledge this isn't an easy word. I want to give you some glimmer of hope here and say the suffering's not going to be that bad and it'll just last a little while. It's going to be fine. No, but this is serious. God is calling us to suffer. If you're a Christian, it's not an optional extra that you sign up to if you want to be a missionary. Suffering is part of your journey as a Christian. Um, suffering is what we've been called to. Paul writes elsewhere in, I think it's 2 Timothy, that, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will be. It's a given. But it's not a suffering that's pointless. It's not a suffering that's destinationless. It's a suffering in which God takes you and refines you through fire into the perfect person you were meant to be. That suffering might not even lead to good things in this world. It might lead to your death, as it has for so many Christians in centuries of history. But, but that suffering is what God is doing in your life to draw you nearer to Christ and more mature in Him. But equally, that suffering is, is the witness and testimony by which 
people see and meet Jesus. We suffer because we want to proclaim Christ. And through that suffering, people will meet Jesus. Yeah? All right? I got my one nod. I'm ready to go. That's the path. And thankfully, that's not where the story ends. That's not where we leave the sermon. We have the path of suffering, but we have the power of proclaiming Christ. And that power is not your power, your strength, your ability. That power is Christ. Christ's strength. Christ at work in you and through you. Read with me at verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You get Paul, he says, I strenuously contend. He's saying, I pour it all out for Jesus. I go hard for the gospel. I get out there and I make sure everyone I meet hears and and knows that Jesus is Lord and died for them. I strenuously contend. But what does he contend with? All the energy Christ works in him. He, he pours himself out because it's not his strength that he's pouring, it's the strength of Christ. And that's a countercultural word for us as well, right? Because we just want to elevate ourselves. We just want to put ourselves right at the center so that everyone might see us and might love us and praise us and glorify us. We want to be the one that the world looks to and just heaps their praises upon. Whether you do it in your workplace, whether you do it at school, whether you do it in your family, everybody wants to be thought well of. Everybody wants to be admired. Everybody wants to be loved. But Paul has found a secret. And the secret is less of him and more of Christ. The secret is less of this world and more of the world to come. Less of the praise of people for him and more of the praise of people for Christ. And so he just... He works tirelessly and ceaselessly because Christ is in him. He's fueled by his his dependence on Jesus. And that is a word that has smashed me this week because I consistently and constantly labor in my own strength and I do it for my own glory. Just to be vulnerable with you for a minute, there's just so many moments in my life where I just want you to love me and to think I'm fantastic, and to, to delight in me. You know, there, there are moments where I get up to preach the Bible, and I'm speaking the words of God, but my heart's actually saying, I really hope they think I'm a good preacher. I really hope they think I'm fantastic. And that is an anathema to the gospel, because the gospel is that Philippians 2 that we had read earlier, of Jesus, high and exalted and mighty, lifted up above all people. Um. I was at a conference this week. We were talking about this kind of theme of, of God using us in our weakness and um, being the one who works through us. Um, and it was just this really helpful illustration that so often we, we do God's work, but we do it our way, with our strength, with our purposes, for our glory. We're so, we're so keen on doing God's work. You know, it's about Jesus. We're keen on people meeting Jesus. We're keen on people growing in Jesus, but we're going to do it my way. All right, God? I've got the plan. I know how we're going to do it. It's going to be this program and this event. And then when we do it, we, we get out there and we do it in a way that people look at us. And it's all about Nick. It's all about Nick. It's all about Nick. And, you know, at some point along the way I prayed, you know, I did because it's God's work. But it was, it was the 5% at the end that I want God to come through for because I had the other 95%. He can kind of land the plane. I got it up in the air. It's all me. Um, but praise be to Jesus, you know what I mean? Like it's this, this sense that we, we know God is good and deserves it and we have a mission that God's given us, but we do it for ourselves. 
That, that just broke me apart. It's like we've, we've got this cake that we've labored over. We've, we've rescued all the ingredients from coals and we've put them together and baked them beautifully and we've, we've got this beautiful cake and then we come to God and we go, hey God, I've built this cake. Can you just put the icing on top for me? And that, that can't be the way of Christ. That's not the way of Paul. That's not the way that we proclaim him. Um, we contend with the energy that Christ works in us. We do God's work not in the power of the flesh, but the power of the Spirit. We do God's work with God's strength, in God's way, for God's purposes. Do you pray? Do you pray? And if you do, is it, is it the, the icing on the top of your life's plans or is it a prayerful dependence on God seeking him to lead you? I've got to answer honestly. I don't think I pray like that enough. But I want to. Um, in this conference, they said that, that this is the stuff of revivals. When people stop elevating themselves and genuinely just want the name of Jesus to go out. When we put aside our plans and our ideas when we seek God's plans and God's ideas, that's when, that's when a wave of revival sweeps and people meet Jesus in a miraculous way. So we've got this, this miraculous, beautiful mystery that God has revealed from the beginning of time that Christ is in you and that is the hope of glory. And because that is so beautiful and it's a treasure that's above all other treasures, we want to proclaim that. We want to share that. You do it to see people mature in Christ, but sometimes you have to do it through suffering. But even at the deepest moments of suffering, God is at work in you. Christ is strengthening you. And if you persevere faithfully and prayerfully, you can be certain that God will be at work. Let me pray. Father, you are the king of glory and the king of grace. You're the one whom we worship because you are mighty and, and powerful and holy. But you're the one who reaches down and saves us the one who rescues us from our sin, the one who loves us in the blood of Jesus, in the sacrifice of Jesus. Father, we, just, we don't want to be people that elevate ourselves because we know that Jesus deserves the praise. We know that Jesus deserves the glory. We know that this world needs the love of Christ. So God, would you send us? Would you empower us? Would you motivate us? Would you bring many to come to know Jesus? Would you mature us and would you mature others into the fullness of Christ that we were made for? Amen.